Welcome to Line Noise, a podcast about electronic music. I'm Philip Sherburn. And I'm Ben Cordieu. And the year, as we know it, is coming to an end. Thank goodness for that. Well, yes, quite. Uh, it's not been not been the best, has it? No, it really hasn't. Ever since David Bowie sort of died on, what was it, January the 16th or something like that? It's uh, Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, David. You really <laughs> cut things off on, on the wrong foot. Well, at least he got to miss most of it, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lucky guy. But music, musically? It's not been a bad year. No, actually, musically, I think it's been it, it's been a pretty good one. Um, mm. It's been interesting, shall we say. Hmm. I mean, have any sort of themes occurred to you? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean... Are we talking electronic music? Are we talking kind of the broader sweep of, of pop? Um, electronic music, I think. Uh, I've been kind of racking my brains about this. The The good thing is I didn't have to write a year-end essay this year, and so um, I didn't have to answer this question. I'm not seeing a lot of... To me, this was a year that electronic music, while there was a lot of really good stuff... Um, I mean, I guess kind of every year I say the same thing, but like it kept sort of doing the same thing. I mean, last year, let's say there was there was a this sort of notable um, rise in uh, like club music or post club right. music. Lotic, Rabbit, Arca, uh, Alicia Crampton, everybody in that extended sphere. And this year, some of them continued to do new stuff. Alicia. Crampton put out a great new album, but it didn't feel like that. Arca put out a good album, but it didn't feel like that music sort of catapulted forward um, from where it was last year. I felt one thing about this year, um, and maybe this is to do with some of the people we've been talking to this year, but I felt there were quite a lot of people with personalities this year i mean i was looking back at some of the people we we talked to over the year and there's people like hieroglyphic bing and olga bell and there's a lot of personality there you know yeah um and i got that from katie gately as well from from her record which i thought was was an excellent record and very kind of filled with it's very it's very personal It it was anything but a sort of faceless techno record you know that's an interesting way of putting it, actually, because, yeah, I mean, for whatever reason, and maybe we'll get into this further as we start listening to some of our picks, but for whatever reason, I I listen to less techno and house this year than I have in many, many years. I mean, those have always been kind of my bread and butter. And I, I don't know if it was because I, I wasn't going out much this year, I wasn't DJing much this year, or if it was just that they, I didn't find a ton that captivated me there. I mean, there was good material, but there was there wasn't much in house and techno that I that I felt like I hadn't heard before. So, what did you listen to? Um, I listened to a lot of ambient music, which right. I kind of I mean that that that's a constant for me. Right. Um, I listened to a lot of non electronic music. Um, I I think probably my most listened to album this year was uh, Kate LeBon, mm. who's a Welsh um, kind of I hate to say indie rocker, um, acoustic rock musician. Song, I mean, like singer songwriter. Except her lyrics are nonsensical in a really interesting and good way. Um, I get a heavy Slits influence from her record, even though it doesn't actually sound like the Slits. But there's something in the guitars. Um, yeah, but that was just kind of one of the most frequently and often played albums in our home. Um, the Elsa Suarez record was in heavy rotation for a long time. So, um, yeah, I mean, as a, as a newish parent, you know, I'm sure you can yeah. you can identify with this. You know, it changes your listening, and um, yeah, and this year the the uns uns just didn't really factor into to what I looked for. And you said something very interesting when we were um, at Mira, which was we were listening to somebody doing sort of deathly, horrible drones, <laughs> and you said. This was obviously not long after the um, American election results. And you said you just didn't want, you know, you weren't in the mood for that kind no, of thing. No, exactly. It was during Roly Porter's set and, not, you know, no shade to Roly Porter. I think he does great work. Um, you were in the in the sort of the planetarium thing, um, lying on your back and watching trippy <laughs> visuals. And, and I was there and it was Roly and I think 
I don't remember who was doing his visuals. Was it Marcel MFO? Yes, it was. Um, yeah. Yeah. Who, you know, I love his work, but it was kind of dark, black and white, grayscale, and the music was very doomy, ambient. And this was literally like two or three days after the election. And I was in a foul mood. <laughs> and I felt like this is totally overkill for me i felt like if i want doom and gloom i can just open twitter you know which is kind of all i'm doing these days anyway is just like scrolling through twitter with my head in my hands and i found that i really i just didn't need an artist an artist rendition of the apocalypse because it felt all too kind of familiar I mean, I don't listen to all that much ambient music. I really like it, but I I find it very hard to find uh, a time for it in my life. And but the art, uh, the ambient music I do listen to is a lot more um, warm and musical. Mm-hmm. I, I like things like KLF Chill Out. I mm-hmm. like things like um, the Orbs Adventures Beyond the Ultra World. That kind of thing. That's the kind of ambient music. I mean, like Ascending by Brownino. I, I mm-hmm. really like the kind of musical, warm, beautiful kind of ambient music. I can appreciate other types of music, but I I can't find the time to listen to them. I guess this year I found a lot of really what I would call almost sort of life-affirming and meditative ambient music. Um, I discovered a woman named Sarah Devachi, right. who has a string of albums out, just recorded them all in the last few years. I bought her entire catalog on Bandcamp. It's the first time I've ever clicked that button to buy an entire wow. artist catalog on Bandcamp. Um Recorded mostly with the EMS Synthy, which is a very, um, or Synthy 100, an arcane analog synthesizer from the 70s. She also does stuff with violin and voice. And it's it's a very particular strain of drone ambient, um, which is just very minimalist. It's just kind of like single held tones or like two held tones kind of quivering and throwing off harmonics. And... Um, she did a she did she had a couple new albums this year and they were all really brilliant. Um, the Suzanne Craft album, which I think I'll probably be talking about a little bit later in the show, on Melody is Truth, just really enveloping and warm and inviting and kind of life giving. Um, the Georgia album that we talked about a little bit on the last episode, um, even the Roman Flugel album had some moments of that as well. And so there was a lot of um, kind of comfort music that that I gravitated to. I found myself listening to a lot of music that took me to a slightly alien place. Um, I'm thinking of Alexi Perella, um, the Kalundi sequence, which was one of my albums of the year. And that, it's really weird because it uses these different uh, tunings. It it kind of takes you somewhere else. It doesn't mm. feel like standard music. And I really enjoyed it. That uh, I really enjoyed that. And also the DVA High Emotions album, which was a very strange album, like very kind of um, pushing at what electronic music can be. Uh, he recorded it all in the dark. It was meant to be listened to in the dark. It was quite jazzy. It was quite... And I enjoyed music like that that kind of just took me somewhere else, you know? Well, you also listened to a lot of music that took you somewhere else in the sense that you did kind of a deep dive into the American independent music of the 80s, you read um, Michael Azarad's Our Band Could Be Your Life and you sort of listened your way through the discography there. Yeah, that was a fascinating moment for me because um, it was this load of music that a lot of people I, I, I know like a lot and I know a bit about, but I never really listened to. And um, what happened actually was I was looking in my local library for a book to read uh, in Spanish and I looked in their music section and they had this. And I thought, what? In English or in Spanish? No, in Spanish. You, you read Our Band Could Be Your Life in Spanish? Yeah. That's fascinating. Ah. And um, I, I thought, yeah, I'll pick that up. And it took me a while to read them. It took like a couple of months, you know, children, Spanish, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but it was fascinating every chapter to go through and kind of listen and be like, okay, this. And there was some of it um, that I remember thinking, no, I don't like this at all. I mean, in every case, I could understand why people liked it. But there was something that just didn't appeal to me at all. Um, but it was a really interesting sort of musical odyssey to go on to understand like why people like this kind of thing so much. And these are bands like Sonic Youth, um, Big Black. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, Dinosaur uh, Jr., Mission of Burma. Fugazi, Fugazi Minor Threat, right. Black Flag, all of that kind this, of thing. I mean, this is pretty much what I grew up on. I mean, this was my musical upbringing Minutemen were they in there they were oh, yeah man, Minutemen. so this this is really the the stuff that i came of age on in a way 
um, what were like, what did you end up connecting with? More th- than anything, Minutemen, I think. Okay. Um, it was interesting because... <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, because they were, re- they were really very, very different. I mean, I listened, I, I remember reading the um, chapter about Minor Threat and thinking, wow, this sounds really interesting. And then when I went to listen, it was like, dun, 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 and like, okay. And I really liked everything they did, the kind of transparent spirit, the, the, the sort of way they set out to do their own thing. But it's like, no, th- this music is just not me. And it's the same for Black Black Flag. Mm. It's like, yeah, you're, you're really interesting people. I think what you've done is really interesting. I know you've had a massive influence, but no, I just don't need... To you're listen. not a hardcore fan in general. No. Um, but Minutemen, I thought, was really interesting, really different kind of things. Mm. Like, they're really sort of, sort of not what I expected at all. I mean, D. Boone's lyrics were amazing. The the, his, uh, the do you want new wave or the do you want the truth? I mean, the uh, World War. What is it? Oh, usually, I know this, but I mean, it's World War. It's should a word have two meanings? What the f four? <laughs> should a word serve the truth? I mean, he. I don't know. He 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 was so he was so smart and so he had such a way with words. Uh, he is missed greatly. Yeah, well, it was a very sad tale that that that, that whole thing, and then like Mike Watt, who's always been this sort of uh, person, sort of floating on the periphery. You know, you kind of know he's important, but I'd never quite knew why, and you mm. kind of understand it now. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, you it, was it Sonic Youth that you were on Facebook? You were saying you just didn't understand why people rated them so much. Yes, um, Sonic Youth are one of those bands that, again. Because them I have listened to quite a lot, and I've got Daydream Nation, and um, I've got what's that album they did early in the nineties, hundred percent things like that on it. Yeah, I checked out after, by then, but I've, I've got that album, and I, I just don't quite get it. Like, I mean, I like them, but the thing is, you read the book and you're like, wow, they're using all of these tunings and they're, you know, doing these things and they're sticking like drumsticks under guitars, but and then you listen, it's like. Sounds like kind of rock music to me, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, my, I, I think as I was saying on Facebook, the problem is I heard my bloody Valentine before, right? And yeah. from my bloody Valentine, uh, Sonic Youth sound like a kind of step into the past, and that's yeah. an extraordinarily harsh way to judge them. But well, I mean, but it's also true. I mean, that you know they were doing it first right i mean they were doing their thing you know sonic youth started out in 81 or something like that so you know quite a bit before my bloody valentine and it's a different context also you know it's no wave um i mean i i remember i think i discovered sonic youth through the sister album which i bought on cassette from a record store called the ooze in portland oregon that was like an industrial and goth record store on burnside it's long gone um and uh and I, I really fell in love with that record and then quickly, I think Daydream Nation, it was around the time Daydream Nation came out, I saw them on the Daydream Nation tour, I quickly bought all of their right. previous records and, but at the time in, you know, in 80, we're talking about 86, 87, I guess, you know, that that was a still a pretty unusual sound, that kind of detuned, mm. you know, these swarming, clanging guitars um, but I can also see why, you know, decades later, it wouldn't sound that radical to you because in many ways those techniques have been kind of absorbed into rock music, generally speaking. The other thing is I reserve the right. I, do you ever get this? Sometimes there are bands that you just don't quite get and then one day you really do and then you become an obsessive fan. Mm-hmm. I almost feel that that might happen with me someday with Sonic Youth. It would be like, all my chickens come home to roost. And I'm like, what, what, <laughs> what was I thinking about? You know, they're absolutely brilliant. I mean, that's happened to me before. I, I struggle to think of anyone, but I think that could happen. Um, so, I mean, back to the music of 2017. No, 2016. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm so done with this year that I'm already <laughs> pretending it's next year. Back to the music of 2016. How, how do you feel about... I mean, do you do you like the year-end list-making season? Do you like the whole rigmarole? I love it. I mm. absolutely love it. I am, I'm that kind of boring music fan that loves lists, and I love knowing what's number one, what's number two. I I love a list, and also it influences 
I, I make a list. I mean, for many years. Throughout year, the year, you mean? or Yeah. Yeah. Um, for many years, that was because I knew I'd have to, at the end of the year, give a list. Um, the last two years, I haven't had to, but I've sort of still had that, that thing in my head. Um, and I just like it. just enables me to think back over the year, you know. Um, and what what I tend to do is just go into iTunes and look back at sort of, you know, things added this year. And it just sort of brings me back to it. And it just really appeals to a part of my brain, like listing, you know. That's interesting. I'm, I'm, I would say almost exactly the opposite. It's, it's not, I mean, I don't hate making lists. I, I mean, I have to do it for, you know, professional obligations and I have for many, many years. And I usually have to do a lot of them this year. It's easy this year. It's just pitchfork, nothing else. Um, although I guess I'll do Paz and Jop, which is I think now called the Village Voice Music Critics Poll. That's not as catchy, is it? <laughs> not at all. Um, if they get in touch with me, which every year they, they send my ballot to the wrong email address. So I, anyway. Um, but yeah, I don't. I, I think I'm not a natural ranker. It doesn't come easily to me. I have trouble comparing unlike things. Um, and... I also forget a lot and my, my mood changes a lot. And I think like every year, somewhere around March, I'll hear something I really like. And I'm like, right, I've got to get a start on my <laughs> list for the year. And I'll start a new document. In I actually have a, a, a folder on my computer that's like charts and lists. And then I'll start a new document. And it's like best albums and best songs of 2016. And I'll write down that thing. And then I just completely forget about the document. And sometime in early November, I'll be like, oh, right, that that list. And I open it up, and there's one record that I was really briefly excited about in March that I've completely forgotten about now, and I have to start from scratch. One thing, I mean, I always find, literally every single year I do this, that the next year I listen to an album, um, maybe it's something I've dismissed, maybe something I've just not heard, and it's like, oh, yeah, actually, that would have probably been, if not my favorite, then like my second favorite of the, of the year before. But I like that as well, you know. What, do you remember what your your sort of that revelation of last year was? I'm not sure if it was last year, um, but uh, what is the name of that Australian sort of Courtney Courtney Barnett? Is it Courtney who? Courtney Barnett? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. A sort of Australian uh, singer songwriter. I remember. Um, I think it was the end of last year. I was, I was putting together a list, and you know, you put it on Facebook. And loads of people saying, "Yeah, that that yeah, that Courtney Barnett's my number one." I hadn't even heard it, and I remember hearing it. But like, oh, actually, yeah, that's really good. <laughs> yeah, <now laughs> that I should have been it. in yeah, there. Yeah. But well, you know, there we go. It wasn't. Um, do you? I mean, w- when you're making a list, are you going by? Are you just going by what you like, what you what moved you, or are you kind of trying to be objective in terms of this? mattered this year well see i have different criteria for albums and serial uh and um tracks not singles um for albums for me it's it's personal Mm -hmm. it's just whatever i like best um i think my uh favorite album of last year or was it maybe it was 2014 was fatima al-kidiri as asiatish Mm -hmm. which you know certainly wasn't topping many lists um but it was my favorite album of the year so i went for that um but for singles, for tracks, I tend to go for something that's big, that sums it up, you know, that's like, okay, this that encapsulated was, the year. Yeah, something you've heard, like an anthem, you know. So this year, that song um, for me was Drake, One Dance, because you've just heard it everywhere. And I think in Britain it was number one for 10 weeks, probably equally long in the US. It was a massive track, and it's a great track. I really like it. Um, and... Uh, I just think it encapsulates 2016. You'll look back and you'll be like, okay, what was 2016? It one was one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's really funny because we, we've we had this discussion before and to this, still to this day, I cannot hear one dance in my head. Like I'm not, I, I've listened to it since we've mm. spoken about it and I think I actually put it on after we had this discussion and I was like, weird, just never heard that song before. And I, to, I still can't really remember what it sounds like. There was another Drake song that I liked far better this year and I, I don't even remember the title of it now but one dance I don't know it's just like water off a duck's back in my brain it just not yeah see this is something about living in Spain as well I think because Spain bless it 
is not at the the forefront necessarily of of pop culture and i think you can have massive 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 hits in britain and america and and other parts of europe and that kind of thing that just really don't get played in spain and one dance i don't think has got that much radio play in spain i haven't heard of that much do you listen to the radio here in the car, sometimes, okay, okay. in the supermarket, yeah. you know. Th- th- that's what I mean. That's kind of like almost the track of the year should be that kind of thing you right. hear in the car. Um, you know, like Call Me Maybe. Right. 2012? So, yeah, yeah. Something like that. Something you like know, that. you would put, put on the car radio, you would hear it, and you'd be like, well, that's a great song. See, in our supermarket, we're still hearing um, Uptown Funk. Like, they, they, like the Uptown Funk hasn't gone out of rotation there, so I don't even know what the song of this year is. Right? <laughs> that's, that's like two years ago? I don't know. Lawsuits have come and gone, but the, the supermarket's well, exactly. still playing it. They play Craig David in mine. Which one? No, no, old school. Like I met her on Monday. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I've heard that in, yeah. Oh. We, you know, Craig David. <laughs> we're gonna take a little. <laughs> we're gonna take a trip back in time here. Craig David, when he got signed to the major label, played an intimate show in San Francisco that was like an industry-only show. Right. That was geared at yeah, at music industry people. And so I was working for Accelerator then, and they invited the entire staff of Accelerator to go down to this hotel where Craig David was playing. And everybody at Accelerator was super into two-step and UK right. Garage, which is kind of what he became known for, right? Because he was on the Artful Dodger track, yeah, was it? Yeah, re- Rewind. Re- rewind, yeah. And we went down there, and all of the, the women who worked at Accelerator got like all dressed, like every, I mean... Everybody was pretty excited about seeing Craig David, you know, and and all the women got like really dressed up and we all went down there and it was so surreal because he was like, it was like Craig David unplugged and he was sitting on a, on a stool with an acoustic guitar. I don't remember now if he played the acoustic guitar, if there was somebody else playing acoustic and he was just singing. I think he had a guitar player at that. Yeah. And. It was, biz- but he was super charming. He was so yeah. you could kind of understand why they were grooming him to be like an R and B star and not just a garage MC because um, he had that kind of star power. But um, yeah, Craig David. Well, he's in Britain this year. He's had a massive revival. His new album went to number one. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. And um, the other day he was in Barcelona doing a set. I can't remember what he calls it. It's basically him DJing and singing over the top. Wow. Did you go? No, I did not. <laughs> um, I mean, I haven't really gone to many nightclubs, but... I, Last I, opportunity. Well, it, that's the funny thing. It's like, well, this is they're still playing, you know, his, his, his sounds in Supermarket. I, but yeah, he's playing... I can't remember which club it was. Not one of the... Like OPM ones. or something awful like that. Opium. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it might have been Catwalk. I think I've been to Catwalk. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> Some of your best moments of 2016. We we know it's been a miserable year, but what what's uh best moments? I mean, I as usual my I mean most of my sort of live music moments always come down to um to Unsound Festival in Krakow. Right. I, this is becoming predictable at this point for me, but that that's where I get my live music fix. Um, I missed Primavera this year because I managed to get the stomach flu on day one, so I missed pretty much everything after that. Um, at Unsound, Zenyawa were a real revelation. Um, it's this uh, Indonesian duo doing kind of like sort of operatic black metal singing obvious choice come on (laughs) with the home invented like homemade string instruments um and among among the the among the bounty of stuff i saw at unsound this year there was one show that was uh caitlin aurelia smith playing solo synthesizer and voice rashad becker um of dub plates and mastering and, and also of pan records playing solo synthesizer. And then the Baltimore group horse Lords and the three acts, they, they were super different musically, but there was kind of a through line there and it really worked. And Caitlin Aurelia Smith's show was just, was really like melodic and harmonic and emotional and expressive. Rashad Becker's set was really 
cold and prickly and difficult and uncomfortable and kind of anguished in a way. And then horse lords play like really crazy African influenced kind of stripped down rock in strange time signatures with a little bit of saxophone and a little bit of synthesizer. And, and it was in this cavernous, um, uh, uh, auditorium because they, they, they had to move the, the show because the, whatever, a, a double booking in the other place. Right. And, and it was the last place you would expect to see any of those, uh, artists, but it, it really worked. So yeah, the, I mean, for me, I guess the, what resonated for me were, were discoveries this year. Um, Ben, what were your, what were your highlights of the year? My best gig was Kamasi Washington um, at Primavera, and he plays, there's the Auditori, which is um, this big indoor venue as part of Primavera. I think capacity about 5,000. I mean, it's big, but it's seated. And he was stunning. I mean, I really, really liked his album. Um, but live, uh, they it was about four times as good again and it was really good like this incredible band um jazz but with elements of funk but with elements of soul that kind of thing uh really intense two brilliant drummers um sort of transcendent is a is a is a difficult word to use but it almost was it really did make you forget you're sitting in this that concrete blue building you know it was it was incredible in fact it was so good that anything else I saw that night, I just didn't particularly didn't register. Look. Yeah, I mean, I went to see Floating Points after, and I like Floating Points, but it was just like, <sighs> was that live or DJ? Live. Okay. Um, and that sounds really rude. They 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 were really good, but it was just like after seeing Kamasi Washington, which was just a musical explosion. Mm-hmm. You know, this incredible explosion of sort of talent. It was like, okay. I, I'm I'm curious to see what he does, and I mean, it seems like we're we're due for more from him soon, you know. And I mean, I I was I was listening to the to Kendrick's last album, uh, not not the one from this year, not the untitled one, but the la- the I can't think of the name of it now, but the last big album. Um, while I was cooking Thanksgiving dinner, actually, and there's a lot of that style of kind of jazz on there, right? And and really feeling like I'm I'm ready for more more of that kind of sound. Well, Kamasi Washington's album was a three CD, right, uh, right. uh, three hour moment. So there's still quite a lot to, to go in there. But um, no, what they've been doing, what what Thundercats been doing, I found really, really, really interesting. In fact, Thundercats track he released this year in the name of which escapes me for the moment was another brilliant, brilliant track. Like kind of three minutes, kind of addressing what's going on in the world, you know, um, and yeah, as I said. That whole brain feed of Capacity Washington, particularly when they cross into the mainstream, I find very interesting. Did you hear the Mind Design album on Stone's Throw? I did not. Know. I don't know if that's how it's pronounced. Mundesen. It's like M N D S G N. Oh, on Stone's Throw, and it's kind of electro funk. It's kind of Dame funk ish with New Age overtones, but it also has a little bit of that jazzy kind of spiritual jazz element to it even if it's just kind of a a reference and overtone i don't know but but that was a late in the year discovery for me and um yeah i think i think you would like that one talking jazz as well i really enjoyed underground resistance live at sonar okay yeah i forgot about that. which we saw together yeah exactly um because i've loved underground resistance for years they're kind of this legendary act they're kind of they're shadowy as well you don't expect to see them live you know you don't expect to see them actually in flesh and blood you know they're they're, they're legendary in in that kind of way and the idea that they would actually sort of be on stage on time before you and play music is is just kind of weird and great and and banging it out i mean totally jubilant right i mean playing the hits and really going for it and i thought what they did so well was that was almost the perfect mix between sort of machine and live music Mm -hmm. you know they started off if i remember rightly with a dj and then people started playing over that. Mm-hmm. And that transformed to people playing and electronic music. And then it swung between the two. Like sometimes it was almost kind of people just playing live instruments. Sometimes it was almost entirely electronic. Sometimes it was a DJ. And I thought that was really impressive. You know, because it can be hard to do live electronic music. Oh, yeah. And yeah, they, totally. they nailed it. 
yeah, that was fun. That was that was a lot of fun. That was, I mean, it was a, a huge crowd and just like the vibe in there was yeah, kind of unbeatable. question what's your album of the year it's i mean <laughs> it's a difficult question i don't have a good answer for that i in some ways i don't have an album of the year um what i did for my pitchfork ballot it was a very late the pitchfork ballot was due shortly after uh the election and everything in my head changed after the election right. um it's really hard for me to look back now and not see the entire year through the lens of November 8th. Um, I ended up putting Anoni's Hopelessness at number one. Um, even though it was an album that I didn't, I didn't spend a lot of time listening to. I mean, there were certain tracks off it that I'd kind of been exposed to. Um, but all of a sudden, it, like nothing else kind of made sense to me. Right. It's almost my protest vote for the year. Um, in between Drone Bomb Me, Four Degrees, and Obama, I don't know. Like, it, it just, to me, I guess, as to what you were saying in terms of looking for, like, the song that sums up the year, this, to me, was the album that, in retrospect, summed up the year. It felt like 2016 for you. Exactly, exactly. I think sometimes that's what you need, isn't it? You know, it might not be the best, whatever the best is. It might just be the kind of what encapsulates the year for you i mean it wasn't really a year in which i had an album that was my favorite you know i i i kind of went through and i i had periods of the year where there were albums that that i listened to a lot that meant a lot to me i mean that that kate lebon record um i listened to incessantly um even though that doesn't feel like an important album quote unquote it's just a very good album um that kind of struck the right chord for me uh but the anoni it 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 felt relevant, shall we say, and yeah. What what I thought about Anoni, which was really impressive, was that when it was announced that the album would include production from Hudson Mohawk and One of Tricks Point Never, I thought, how's that going to work? Yeah, I I really thought it could have been heading uh, towards a car crash, but uh, Four Degrees, the first song to came out, I thought was brilliant. When you heard it, it's like, oh, that's how it's going to work, yeah. and it works really, really well. But Anoni is one of those artists that sometimes I really love and sometimes I find quite hard to listen to. Real sort of... Yeah, no, totally. I mean, you're not going to put that on, again, t like the kitchen test. I don't think... You're not going to really cook to it. Um, it's not dinner party listening. No, for me, it was like scrolling through Twitter with my head in my hands music. But Yeah. But it fit the bill. And <laughs> Drone Bomb Me, I mean, was. it's <laughs> almost like... There's bits of Drone Bomby that are almost a little tasteless. Like she's singing from the perspective of an eight-year-old Afghan girl whose family has been killed in a drone strike. That's pretty audacious to kind of assume that voice. And then yeah. she's singing things like, you know, I, I, I want to die, Drone Bomby. I mean, the language is so purple. I mean, literally purple. She's like, lay my crystal guts out on the grass my purple guts out on the grass i mean it's so overblown but but undeniably beautiful as well i mean it's a very powerful subject for a song and um i mean who who else has written a song about drone bombs right you know probably um, not many people because they haven't been around that long but it's a difficult subject what yeah. on earth do you say you know and full credit to her for, for doing that, quite frankly. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult to aestheticize horror, right? I mean, that's 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 the hardest thing there is to do. And and I think she did a really phenomenal job of it. And so, yeah, so for that reason, that that's my number one album. Love Drone bomb me Blow me from the mountains and into the sea. 
So my, my favourite album, I did have a very obvious um, favourite album of the year, and it was the David Bowie album, Black Star. Um, and that's not going to be a revolutionary choice. I'm sure loads of people had it. But I just thought it was the best album of the year. You're talking about someone who, in the fifth decade, I think, of his recording career, has come up with something that sounds totally new. It's a sort of jazz synth sound. It doesn't sound like anyone else. And how many people do that in the fifth, you know the fifth decade of the recording career. Rolling Stones just done an album that um, is blues covers. And fine. So Rolling Stones doing blues covers? Yeah, I know, yeah, I know. Out of here. And um, not only that, the songs in it are incredible. Are incredible. I mean, um, I think the title track, which was my probably my song of the year, is, is just incredible. It's like real emotional heft. And obviously, you know, you have to think about the context. And it's very easy to give the album of the year to someone who died this year, who was a legend. But it's not just that. It's more than that. It is a genuinely brilliant album, brilliant songwriting, exploring a totally new genre, incredibly realised, brilliant lyrics. I mean, just an absolute yeah, stunning the album. The videos as well. I mean, the video for um, uh, for Lazarus, for instance, is just chilling. Yeah, yeah. Um, and... It was the emotional impact. I remember just listening to it the day he died and just thinking, that's incredible. When has anyone talked about dying in that way? You know, what, what a strong album. After that, Frank Ocean. I'm sure loads of people are going to go with as well, but it was a great album. And after that, Alexi Perella. We've talked about Alexi Perella before. What connected with you so much? And, and when do you listen to the Alexi Perella album? What can I, one of the reasons I chose it was because um, I'm sure you know the experience. You're, you're flipping through promos digital promos you've got your headphones on you're sort of going through the quickly you've got loads of them built up and um often it's just sort of very standard things and you sort of listen to a couple of minutes and think well that's enough and this was the alexi perella one had no expectations and i remember just listening to it think oh what's that that's kind of a bit strange that's kind of a bit different and it sounded different but it sounded brilliant and it just sounded um there's a real depth to it. Like I keep on coming back to it. I think it's 18 tracks or something like that. And um, after I when I, after I put together my list and it was like third, and I thought, can it be that high? And I went back to listen to it. And it's no, actually, this is a brilliant album. And I've listened to it loads of places. I listened to it sort of walking around. I've listened to it working. I've listened to it, um, well, walking around and working. Is my <laughs> <laughs> but that's when I listen to a lot of music. Basically, that's a lot of you know my listening time. into my everyday life album in addition to the Kate LeBond was the Shy Layers album right. of Growing Bin which again was just very pleasurable to me you know it was it wasn't revolutionary um, although it did th- it did something that I hadn't heard exactly before I mean it was taking bits of of kind of kraut rock taking bits of African music um, and synth pop and it was just super and a little bit of Arthur Russell and it was just super kind of melodic and pleasant to listen to and and um genial uh and i, I logged many hours listening to the shy layers well my most 
pleasant album. The one that probably gave me the most pleasure of all was Floor Plan. Huh, interesting, okay. Um, because as I said, I listened to a lot of music walking around and um, Floor Plan is so energetic. It's so happy. It so lifts your day. It's one of those albums you just put in like, yes, right, now I'm happy, you know. Um, and what you were talking about with the, the US elections, um, post-Brexit for me, I remember needing something to listen to just to sort of get away from all the news, you know. And I put on Floor Plan because it was like... And that's very... Um, that's sort of escaping reality in a way mm. that, that uh, you know, is maybe not a good idea, but sometimes, you know, you need to do it. And it was just... It was just this kind of brilliantly uplifting, incredibly constructed... It's fun. It's a really fun album. And you know, sometimes you think, well, music's about enjoying yourself. It's about things that are fun. It's about things that make you want to dance. And Floor Plan had all of that. For me, the the like escape album uh, would be Suzanne Kraft's latest one on um, uh, Melody is Truth, a London slash Amsterdam label. Suzanne Kraft, uh, a guy named Diego Herrera out of Los Angeles. I think he lives in Amsterdam now. And he's been, he started out doing kind of metro area, kind of disco-y house. Uh, his last album was a little more ambient. And this new one is very, it's very ambient. There's a couple drum machine tracks on there, but it's right. all really floaty, ethereal, uh, very melancholy and bittersweet. And this to me was the album that just, I kept listening to over and over. And it gave me strength in a way that right. I needed. Um, and... There wasn't a lot to it. I mean, it's a very simple record. Some of it's just kind of like two chords floating against each other. Um, but it stood out in a way that other ambient records didn't. Is there something in your list that you think has been overlooked? Um, yeah, actually, the the last couple months, I've spent a lot of time listening to a pair of albums. And I think in many ways, they really go together. Um, they're both on um, Jan Jelinek's fetish label. And there's a Jan Jelinek and Masayoshi uh, Fujita record called Shaum, which is mm -hmm. German for foam. And there's an Andrew Peckler record called Triste Tropiques, which is named after the Claude Lévi-Strauss um, book uh, of anthropology. And both of them are, you wouldn't really know it from listening to them, but both of them in their, their liner notes, they, they're about kind of the tropics and the sort of the jungle and the other and exoticism. And... They're both kind of weird, ambient, burbly. They sound like a dream you had underwater. It's really hard to describe. It's hard music to even grasp onto. Like, I I never really remember what it sounds like. I mean, it's it's the kind of thing. It's like you. It's wonderful when it's playing, and then you turn it off, and you're like, what what just <laughs> happened there? It's 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 super hard to describe. But those two records, um, I've gotten kind of obsessed with, and I've spent a lot of time listening to them. And they're almost like in the coming month, I don't have a lot of work to do. And I really just want to sort of puzzle them out. So, yeah. So you can come to any kind of conclusion. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So how about you? What 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 do you have in that category? I was going to say, I think the Save album. You know, Save, ah, yeah. did The Light. With which Mutano Pintado. Which is one of my tracks of the year. I mean, it finally came out this year, even though that it was sort of being played last year and I thought the Save album was really clever um, obviously the lights are standard track but there's a load of other things like really um, sort of weird pop music variants and I didn't get people talking about it that much and I yeah no it didn't get much play really and it should I mean the lights are classic the yeah lights yeah and the Mark Pignol remix as well I prefer the original well that's okay but the Mark Pignol remix is good but I, I think I'll go for the original but it's just sort of it doesn't sound like much else. It's very, um, it, it's quite 
deep. That's a, mm-hmm. d- mm-hmm. sort of difficult word to use, but it kind of goes some very strange places. There's a weird reggae influence. It takes in lots of different things. Um, and yeah, that's it's called Monsters and Fairies, and I recommend anyone check it out. I guess while we're talking about house music, um, I would like to shout out the Studio OST album right. on Lustwork Music. Uh, that was Gulcher, Lustwork, and Alvin Aronson, um, both of from the White Material crew. And that, to me, was one of the real... That probably was my favorite... Um, like dance quote unquote dance record of the year. Right. It was all over the place. I mean, there, it was, it was kind of more ambient, ambient techno in feel. Um, some of the tracks were like 140, 150 BPM. Um, a lot of it had a feel sort of like early RNS Apollo stuff from the early mid nineties. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I spent a lot of time listening to that. I thought it took the best of what Gulcher Lustwork does is kind of like, moody deep house thing and what alvin aronson does which is this kind of hypnotic tonal techno thing and um yeah i i i really like that record So if you were DJing at a party uh, this 31st December and uh, somebody asked you on the stroke of midnight to put on a track that summed up 2016, what would it be? <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, everybody, but I'm going to have to go with Roman Flugel, Life Tends to Come and Go. Wow. It's, the clo- <laughs> <laughs> it's a real bummer of a New Year's Eve party, but it's the closing track off of his album this year. And um, it's beautiful. And it, it was, again, ambient. Um, some piano, almost beatless, really drifting. I mean, I, I actually wouldn't play this at the stroke of midnight at a New Year's Eve party, but you asked me to you, sum up... You would. You asked me to sum up... <laughs> I've been to your party. <laughs> New Year's Eve, uh, sum up 2016. And um, yeah, ro- the, this Roman Flugel, it was in the same vein as the stuff that I've been kind of repping for a while, like the Suzanne Craft, the Georgia song that we listened to um, last episode, Motion Graphics. Um, this ethereal drifting ambient melancholy thing and and roman flugel i mean i'm a huge fan of everything he does and i was really happy to see him kind of stepping out and doing something different with this album and that the the final track on the album was just gorgeous I would go for Mr. Fingers Quasars. Oh, yeah. Okay. Can I change my answer? <laughs> no, you can't. That's Because uh, that's I've got it on my list as number two on the list. Um, David Bowie Blackstar. The track is number one. Um, but that's such a good track. I think that's one of the tracks I think people listen back to and they'll go, ah, 2016. Yeah. Um, such a simple track as well. There's, there's sort of almost nothing to it, you know. And it's just brilliant. And I think that probably will be fairly high on, on most people's end-of-year list. And like, you'd be pretty happy to hear that at midnight. I mean, it would have been an amazing track anyway, like w- if it were just an instrumental. Um, I think, you know, Larry Hurd, he he always finds a way to take his sound, to take what he does and, and flip it in a slightly different way. Um, I also love the track Outer Acid on that AP. I yeah. thought it was really brilliant. I played that a bunch, maybe more than Quasar's even. But what tips quasars over the top is that neil degrasse tyson sample of him saying quasars and it's so just like filled with awe and wonderment and in a year in which everything sucked <laughs> like i found that a very hopeful sentiment you know it's like this idea of something something bigger than us something greater and this you know i mean <laughs> Donald Trump wants to cut all NASA funding for Earth Sciences stuff. He wants to, like, I mean, I'm not even going to get started here. But the idea that, like, looking at 
kind of science and being use, using like awe-inspiring science in the context of house music was a, a beautiful thing. So Ben, looking uh, looking at 2017, please God get us there already. What uh, what are you excited about? Well, I'm going to go for a track, um, and uh, it's one ten minutes of pop music is is you know maybe not that much to look forward to in 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 a new year, but it's one I'm going to cling to, and it's very very good uh, ten minutes of pop music. It's by um, Swedish producer Mr. Top Hat, uh, featuring Robin. And it's called Trust Me, and it's being released on January the 13th. And it's um, 10 minutes of sort of disco. It's in between like Filter House and Disco. It's kind of like they've made the disco track themselves and then filtered it. And then over the top, um, Robin is singing. And as an added bonus, it features Abba's drummer, Per Lindfeld. <laughs> so that, that's pretty sort of serious uh, disco credentials. And um, it's a great pop song it's one of those things that if you just listen to the instrumental bits you could just sort of dance that you could imagine um you know dj playing it but then you add the vocal and it becomes something a lot more poppy accessible etc i'm really ready for robin to have a full scale comeback already i mean not comeback but to do something big again right. because the she had that series of three eps what year was that like 2011 oh, that was a 2012 long no, longer i think Maybe it was, but you know, there there was that year where she was like really owning everything, and it was so good. And she hasn't done a ton aside from one off since then. And I'm ready. I actually saw her play at Berghain around that time, and it was amazing. It was astounding. And uh, yeah, Robin's great. And what are you looking forward to? Um, just to pick one thing, it's semi-random. I'm going to say that Karsten Yost has a new album coming out on Dial. I think it's his first album since like 2001 or something insane like that. Um, the bits I've heard are just classic Dial, right. very bittersweet, melancholy house, um, uh, with a little bit of like a little bit of doom sprinkled in there. The opening. Like oh, wow. the opening track had a little kind of black metal, dark ambient vibe to it. Um, yeah, it's just he he's always been phenomenal and he's been gone for too long. So yeah, Karsten Yost, welcome back. <laughs> that to Slayer at Primavera Sound and then we got the year covered exactly <laughs> lots of doom in 2017 I guess that's been the year indeed well thank you for listening throughout the year we'll see you next year with more music have a nice Christmas Reyes if you happen to be in Spain New Year that kind of exactly thing. Reyes um, Hanukkah yeah um, whatever you know <laughs> whatever floats your boat you can email us at linenosepodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at Line Noise Pod. All right. Thanks, everybody. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. <laughs>